Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you. First of all, I want to say thank you to my friend Alvin, who preached last week, and I'm thankful for the team who makes it possible uh, to do this. And Alvin said he felt so well received by them and by you as well. So thank you for, for your kindness to him and thank you for um, your message. Alvin, I'm sure you'll watch this at some point. I appreciate you coming and sharing your heart with us about what it means to live with reconciliation, hope, and how we need to find ways to see each other as God sees us. It was a very powerful word from him. I'm also thankful to you all and our leadership here for giving me and my family a chance to get away for a while. I would highly recommend that uh, to you if you can, if you have anywhere that you can drive to and uh, spend some time with some friends or loved ones or even by yourself, I would recommend it. LA is a wonderful city, but there's a lot going on here right now. And so it was a breath of fresh air for us. We were in the middle of nowhere, Colorado with my family, and it was really fun to see my kids play with their cousins in a town where there were more cows uh, than people. But it was a real uh, wonderful experience. So thank you for giving me the chance to get away. This morning, I'm starting a new series called Love Is, where we're thinking about what Christian love looks like and what it looks like from some different angles than maybe you typically would think of it. Because love is hopefully what Christians will be known for, and it's a certain kind of love that I hope we all would be known for. And imagine if a time traveler came to you in the year 2000 and said, I know that you, know, you just survived Y2K and it wasn't that big of a deal, but let me tell you, 2020 is going to be a wild one. Donald Trump will be president, and you would say, what? The reality TV show guy? That guy? Kobe Bryant and eight others will die in a terrible helicopter crash. And it's odd, that is a bit of a blip in the radar this year. But I remember that moment. And for me, that may be the most significant celebrity death of my lifetime, not only because of Kobe himself, but the girls who were on that helicopter as well. And remember, that was a couple weeks of collective mourning. We were all sad. It was just a very terrible thing that happened. I remember we were at church on Sunday and Emily Gibson came up to me and said, Kobe Bryant died. And it's one of those moments where you're like, no, 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 that, that can't be right. And she said, no, TMZ is reporting it. And I'm like, well, TMZ, whatever. And it's not really, not like that's the news source. But as the minutes passed, we realized that it was right. And we all stood around. I remember standing with a few of you, shell-shocked, just thinking, what do we do from here? It was a terrible moment, but it's almost a footnote in this year. Coronavirus has been way more difficult, I think, than we all could have imagined at the beginning of this. I think that we all thought it would be a few weeks or a couple months of difficulty, but we'd get past it, but that simply hasn't been the case. The divide in our nation with racism has reared its ugly head. Not that it wasn't always there, but we now have a greater sense of awareness of what we're all called to do and who we're called to be moving forward. Charmin toilet paper for a while replaced currency. A man by the name of Tiger King ruled our lives for about a month. That feels like years ago, doesn't it? Some days right now feel like they're years in and of themselves. And as we've been through this year, 
you can't help but feel the weight of it. There's a lot that's gone on. I've only said a few of the lowlights of this year. You certainly can't call them highlights. But as Christians, we are called to not ignore this type of thing, but to see it, recognize it for what it is, and respond in love. We've been through at different times during this year, all of the different stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then some form of acceptance. Some of us, we go through all those stages within a few hours because this world seems to continue to come at, to continue to come at us. But the Christian love and hope that we are called to doesn't ignore the reality of suffering and hardship. In fact, it sees it and then chooses to envision a better world. It's not weakness. It is saying that, yes, this is how this is. And I'm going to choose to enter in and to hopefully make it better. Scott McKnight, one of my favorite uh, New Testament scholars, defines love like this. Love is a rugged commitment to be with someone, to be for someone, unto Christ-likeness for however long it takes. I think that's a great definition of what Christian love is. And that is loving someone to Christ-likeness that hopefully because of your influence on them, they would look more like Jesus. But then also, it's for yourself to look more like Jesus. I love, just as Sonia said, that song that Philip sang for us this morning, that Christ would be at the center of our lives, that Christ would be at the center of our love. In some ways, we are more aware of what that looks like than ever right now. We see nurses and doctors in a way that we've never seen them before, perhaps. Unless you've spent a significant amount of time and have seen the sacrificial way that they have loved you in the hospital, you might not be aware of just how important and significant they are and how they choose to stand by their patients with a rugged commitment. Right now we are seeing that they are the true men and women that we should constantly be thinking of and looking up to. But it's not just them that we have an awareness and appreciation for. It's first responders in in all ways. It's grocery store workers. It's people who are willing to go in and put their lives on the line sometimes to serve food. It's people who are delivering food. It's people who are delivering packages. There are people who are keeping this world going at risk to themselves. We are seeing Christ-like love all around us, and some of you are truly participating in that. What does it look like for you to love the world as Christ does with a rugged commitment? I can't help but think of the story called the triumphal entry in Luke chapter 19. The words will be on the screen below me, but I'll read from my Bible here because it's a long passage. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there 
which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead of him went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. The guy was cool with it, I guess. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, He replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but is now hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you do not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So Jesus enters into Jerusalem knowing what is to come, knowing that his death is in front of him. And the people don't really get it. In fact, it's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who I think understand it perhaps better than the others. This is a disruption. They're trying to prevent Jesus' disciples from what they're doing. This moment causes me to think back to the transfiguration which has happened earlier in the Gospel of Luke where there's this powerful moment that a few of the disciples and Jesus have where Moses and Elijah come and they are are there and, and present. And so Peter, being the one who always wants to talk first, he says, well, we should put up shelters and keep this here. And that is something that we have all experienced. If you've had a powerful moment with God, perhaps at church camp or during a retreat or on a Sunday morning when a a song specifically touched your heart, you instinctively say, oh, I want to stay here. I want to just praise you forever. Let's just make this comfortable. Jesus, I just, I never want to leave here. And Jesus knows that these are parts of the human experience and some things that we need. But Jesus doesn't even dignify Peter's request with a response. He just starts to head to Jerusalem Because he knows that love isn't just the high highs that you feel when you're super connected to God through a song or in a moment where God's spirit touches you. Jesus knows that we are required to do the hard work of love and to sacrificially enter in. So as he comes into this city, He looks upon some of the disciples who are singing there. They're singing this song from Psalm 118, which is a psalm of victory. I can't help but think that it's a bit like what Nelson Mandela's experience was. He is a hero who worked so much for racial injustice to fight it in the apartheid system in South Africa. And some of these people we view as heroes and we don't necessarily sit and and linger with what they went through. Nelson Mandela was in prison for 27 years. Let that wash over you for a minute. 27 years. And he's viewed now positively, but 
at the time, he was in prison for a long period of time. He wasn't viewed so positively there. And then he is released from prison and people are ecstatic about it. And he described that release like this. He said, I was so surprised by the response. As I came into the city to address the masses for the first time, I tried to pay attention to each face. They were banging on the windows, peeking in the cars. It felt like they were going to kill me with their love. First of all, I love how he begins that statement as he is driving through this crowd of people. He doesn't just think of it like it's this crowd. He instead looks on each face and appreciates each one who is there to show support and to give him love. But he knows how crowds can do things. That something that feels like love in a moment and feels like this ecstatic moment can turn to something else. So it felt like they were going to kill me with their love. That scene is very similar to what Jesus experiences as he comes into Jerusalem. Everyone is singing from Psalm 118, a hymn of victory. And just imagine what song that might be for you. What's a song of victory that you might think of? For me, I can't help but think of queen songs, either We Are the Champions or We Will Rock You. You could choose from which one you prefer. Go ahead and say that in the comments. Is it We Will Rock You or We Are the Champions? Those are two pretty good choices. Perhaps you have something else, but these people are, are singing this song. We are the champions. I'm not going to try Freddie Mercury today, but as they're experiencing this, this powerful moment. They are singing this victory song. Jesus knows they don't fully get it. They don't understand. They don't even recognize the power of this moment because he's not riding in on some sort of powerful throne with military might behind him. He's chosen a cult very specifically it's not a powerful horse. It's not a symbol of power or significance. It's the cult of a, a poor outsider who lived outside of town. It reminds me of several years ago in 2015, uh, Pope Francis came to the White House. He is visiting several parts of the United States. And he chose to go meet President Obama at the White House driving in a fiat a $20,000 car. Now, perhaps he chose that because it was very similar to the Pope Mobile. So maybe that's one of the reasons why he chose, because it made him a little bit comfortable. He chose a $20,000 car to go meet one of the most powerful men in the world, leading one of the most powerful nations in human history. Pope Francis, in that moment, chose humility, and in a way showed us Jesus. Because when Jesus thinks about doing God's work in the world, it certainly isn't going to be about praise. He knows that they're singing, we are the champions now, but in just a short period of time, some of those same people will be shouting, crucify him. Because they just 
don't get it. That Christian love is about choosing to continue to show up with people, a rugged commitment to love that changes you and hopefully also that person. In today's day and time, I think there's something pretty dangerous about us. All of us want to be woke. All of us want to be the wokest person of us all. And I'm not saying that that's not a terrible thing. I'm not saying that it's important for you to sometimes wake up to some harmful realities. But I have to tell you, wokeness is not about posting something or even perhaps showing up to a march once. It's a continued lifestyle. It's about continuing to choose to be with people and to say, I am on your side. One of the things that I think is most dangerous about all of us, and I include myself in this, is that we think that we're the least judgmental people in human history, but we are the most judgmental people in human history. Because we constantly are asked every single moment of every single day to decide in just a few seconds, are you going to like this? Are you going to comment on this? Are you going to say this? People say within studies that you have basically three and a half seconds to get someone's attention with a video. So you have to do something epic right at the very beginning to get them to watch the rest of your video because in just a few seconds, people are judging if they actually need to watch this or not. We think that we aren't judgmental, but we are being asked to judge things all the time. Unfortunately, this doesn't do a good job of forming us into who God calls us to be. The kind of people who choose to be with people again and again and again, even sometimes as they have hurt or harmed us. Because Christian love is about choosing to enter in and choosing to be with people until they look more like Christ and hopefully you do as well. Jesus, as he approaches the city of Jerusalem, he weeps. I ask you to think about what that would have been like. These people are very excited. They're thinking, yes, let's do this. Go and take the throne. Here we go. We got this. And Jesus is crying because they just don't get it. And Jesus knows what he has to do. He knows that to change human history forever, he's not just going to ascend to a throne of comfort. He's going to have to die Jesus is despondent as he looks to this city of Jerusalem and realizes how it is now and what he's going to have to give up. So one day, humans will experience their fullness. Jesus looks at the city of Los Angeles in 2020 to the United States, to the world, And he weeps because he recognizes the work that is yet to be done in all of us. And he sees how the city of Jerusalem is. And he knows that it's a far cry from what it should be. May we see people that we need to love, our cities, our community, our world, 
And may we say, I see how this is, and I am going to be part of bringing it more and more into where it should be. Christian love and hope recognizes how things truly are. It's honest. Then just like Jesus, we are invited to sacrificially give of ourselves so that it can look just a little bit more like one day it will be. There's a TV episode called The Patsy of a 1960s TV series. In that series, there's a character played by Sammy Davis Jr. who was part of a a group of soldiers who were together. And Sammy Davis Jr. continued to get picked on by some of the other soldiers. They continued to pull pranks on him and, and do things to him throughout the episode until finally it came to the end and they did their meanest prank. They had a grenade that was actually not live, but they pretended that it was. And they pulled the pin on it. They threw it to him. And he panics in this moment. He's unsure of what to do. And he ends up laying on it on the floor. And he says to the other men, don't worry, I'll save you. I'll protect you. Run. When we think about Christian love, I think that is an example of who we are called to be. Yes, doing the work of God in the world is hard. You aren't always going to get love for it. People are going to sometimes take shots at you for trying to do what you've been called to do. You're going to make mistakes at times. And so sometimes it's just easier to walk away and to not enter in and to not continue to be the kind of person that God has called you to be. When we choose to love like Jesus does, we choose to love people with a rugged commitment, one that continues to allow Jesus to be at the center of our hearts and our minds. The Jesus who, as all these people are are praising and singing this hymn, he's thinking, yeah, they don't really fully get this, and I'm going to continue to weep for this city because I know where it is, and I know where it one day could be. We don't serve a God who is ignorant, but one who is weeping, weeping with hope. What does your heart ache for. Especially during this time, I hope that there are people who come to mind, groups of people who you might think of, how you want to be transformative in their lives, how you want to be someone who will stand with them. Does your heart weep for friends of color? Or are you personally have experiencing, have you personally have experienced injustice? Maybe there's a specific part of injustice that you feel called to address with your life. Is it homelessness? We as a church definitely care a lot about our homeless friends and try our best to care for those who are in need during this time. Is it the LGBTQ community? Is it people who you recognize as friends and you say, I I see the way that that things are, the way that you sometimes are are treated. I weep for you because I hope that things one day 
could be better. I look at you and, and see the way that I can be part of helping you, and it's going to take a rugged commitment from you. And it's going to take me looking like Christ and choosing to look like Christ again and again and again to maybe one day help you look more like Jesus. I think what's important as we think about this is to recognize our calling sometimes to specific people and specific things because we want to pretend like we love everybody everywhere, but in reality, to actually show up and love a specific person or a community, to choose to be part of a church and the good and, and the bad that comes with it, it takes a rugged commitment. It takes you saying, I choose to be with you. And sometimes that takes us being specific. Specific love, I would argue, is actual real love. The idea that we can just love everyone in the world is a nice thought. But in reality, we are called to love specific people. Jesus did this as well. In John chapter 5, there's this very interesting moment when he heals a paralytic. And it describes how this guy is sitting by a pool. And he has had a, a disease for 38 years. And Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? And he says, just take your mat and walk. Just think about what that would have looked like. Maybe a hundred people are gathered around this pool and they would wait for it to bubble up and then the thought was if you got there first, then you would be healed. And so there's all of these people who are waiting for this healing and Jesus walks up behind one guy, taps him on the shoulder and says, get up and walk. And that's awesome news for him. But if I'm the other people who are there, I'm like, hey, what's the deal? If you can do it for him, can't we get like a two-for-one discount here or something? What the healings of Jesus show us is that they are signposts of heaven. Jesus doesn't heal everybody everywhere, even though he could have. What they are are signposts of heaven, of what, day, of what one day things will be like. So if you ever had a moment where you've prayed for someone and you haven't gotten that answer, you're in good company. It's just like the other people who were sitting at that pool that day. But Jesus consistently is kind to everyone and loving to everyone, but he's especially kind and loving to specific people. Love, I believe, is at its most powerful when it is limited. When you say, I choose to be with this, and Jesus, even in his ministry, teaches us this, that he interacts with tons of people all the time, but he specifically continues to mentor and bring along 12 disciples. He pours himself very specifically into their life. Who is it, perhaps, that you feel very called to love? Who you see in our world today? and you have great hope for, but it causes you for a moment to weep. There was a bet that you probably aren't familiar with in 1960, but it's something that you've perhaps known about by not knowing about it. There were 50, there's $50 on the line, and a man named Bennett Cerf bet his friend Theo Gaisel that he couldn't write an entertaining children's story using only 50 different words. So Cerf made that bet with Geisel. And Geisel eventually became known as Dr. Seuss. And using 50 words, 
He wrote a book called Green Eggs and Ham, which has sold more than 200 million copies, the best-selling children's book in the world. So he won that $50 and a whole lot more. Dr. Seuss later imposed another restriction on himself. He wrote the book, The Cat in the Hat, using only first grade vocabulary. He found something that I think we all need to recognize at times, that sometimes our creativity is best used when we're limited. When we think about a specific thing that we are called to do, and we pour ourselves out to that specific Thing. Sometimes we think limits stop our creativity, but in fact, I think the opposite is true. When we think about how we can, can limit ourselves and like laser focus our scope, we don't just half-heartedly do everything. We instead use all of our heart and focus it on one thing. To choose the love of Christ is to recognize that there are going to be high highs as you choose to love people. There's going to be times that they're going to recognize you, they're going to pat you on the back, and perhaps they're going to sing your praises. To love like Christ is to also continue, even in those moments, to weep and to say, I see where this is now, and I want you to continue to understand the love of Christ more and more so that you can one day look a little bit more like Jesus because I tried my best to love you like Jesus. May we choose some people, and may we choose to love them well, even at times when we don't receive love back, or even at times when they don't fully get it. Because church, this kind of work is hard. But I believe Jesus shows us that it's worth it. To choose to love people sacrificially is the best kind of love that we can give. And so limit yourself in scope, not just to the whole world. Sure, you can be kind and generous to the whole world, but can you choose a community and a group of people that you say, I'm going to continue to try and love you like Christ so that you can become a little bit more like Jesus. May we walk up behind someone and say, get up and walk. I can't do this for everyone, but I can do this for you. May we learn that the love of Christ is about weeping for people who aren't necessarily like us, who don't fully get it all the time, but choosing to look at them with hope, even as we cry.